Talk Money is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. <coughs> For updates, further breakdowns, and past episodes of this podcast, sign up at thetalkmoney.com. If you enjoy our podcast, help us get the word out. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to help us reach more ears. And now you can sign up for our newsletter, where we curate the best money topics of the week from across the internet. It's quick, informative, and most importantly, fun. Sign up at thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter. Hey everyone, Mesh here. This season, we've talked about how all different industries have changed and adapted to the pandemic, from live music and higher education to retail and real estate. Today, we're bringing you the final episode of season three, and it's a doozy. Today, we're talking about investing. Investing can feel like this chaotic, complicated mess, but thanks to these scary times, taking a financial risk doesn't seem as intimidating as before. Millions of new investors have emerged during the pandemic. Whether you're buying crypto or stocks, investment apps are making first investments easier than ever. This new surge of excitement in investing is great, but it's still overwhelming when you're going in blind especially when financial news sounds this confusing. They call themselves Robin Hood. Take from the rich and give to the poor. They did the exact opposite today. Investors are cautious because 76% of respondents believe now is the time to be very conservative in the stock market. Evergrande borrowed a lot of money offshore in international financial markets. It's probably not gonna pay it back. But first, let's go back to where it all began. The first rule on investment is don't lose. And the second rule on investment is don't forget the first rule. And that's all the rules there are. I mean, that uh, if you buy things for far below what they're worth and you buy a group of them, you basically don't lose money. If you're already into investing, you probably recognize this voice. This is billionaire investor Warren Buffett. Classic example of someone with old school finance jobs. Buffett is 91 years old and currently the world's 10th wealthiest person worth over $100 billion. When I discovered Buffett, he was the first person to speak to the world of finance in a way that actually made sense to me and broke it down in a simple way. And so about eight years ago, I read a book about Buffett and it just totally blew my mind. This is Andrew Wilkinson. Andrew runs a tech holding company called Tiny. He learned about investing by listening to Warren Buffett and it's paid off. So far, Tiny has successfully acquired over 80 companies, but that doesn't mean Andrew hasn't made investment mistakes. I bought a whole bunch of Apple stock when I was in my teenage years, and I didn't understand investing. I sold it in 2008, and had I held it, that would have been, you know, a million dollars or something crazy. This mistake introduced Andrew to Warren Buffett's investment philosophies, which turned him into a more conservative investor. These kinds of investors are everywhere, and they all want to give you advice about your portfolio. But now that we live in a world with flashy investments making headlines, the older, more conservative methods are starting to fall on deaf ears. What's happened over the last 10 years is that we've had these very, very optimistic valuations given to a variety of different companies. And at the end of the day, you know, the credit card bill becomes due. Those companies need to show they bring something to the table that gives them a steady increase in value. For bigger brands, maybe it's a product with name brand recognition. It's a relatively safe bet to say that people will continue to drink Coca-Cola, right? What's not a reasonably certain bet is that Tesla will become the dominant car company in the world. 
Andrew plays it safe by investing in things he believes will stand the test of time. With the introduction of apps like Robinhood, new investors are making their own judgment calls. It is like very gamified and it is an app, so it's very easy to use, very accessible. You know, a couple of swipes and you're done. Robinhood turned investing on its head by turning it into a game. Since its launch in 2015, the app has attracted a sea of first-time investors. Trading on Robinhood is commission-free, meaning you can buy or sell stocks, funds, and cryptocurrencies without paying a fee. The founders say their goal is to create more access to the financial market, and they've definitely achieved that. Robinhood now has 31 million users. As lockdowns went into effect around the world, Robinhood stepped into the spotlight. 2020 gave the app its time to shine. And that's just an amazing silver lining that's come out of this pandemic period. People had the time, the interest, the boredom. There were no sports leagues on television. There were no concerts to go to. Um, they didn't have to show up in person to a job. And the silver lining was this thing was open. Markets are open. This is Josh Brown. Josh is a financial advisor, wealth manager, and podcast host who has a lot of thoughts about financial priorities today. We're not teaching people about what it means to be a self-sufficient adult who can handle insurance, banks, car leases, IRAs, 401ks. Like, we're just not doing that. So we should. But the problem is bigger than that. It's, um, it's societal. People aren't being paid enough. Financial literacy. Josh isn't the only one who sees this as a problem for younger generations. Meet Anthony Pompliano, otherwise known as Pomp. Wealth inequality is not a bug of the system. It is a feature. And what I mean by that is there is one key lesson that pretty much nobody is taught in school, but it completely changes the way that you will kind of progress in life is if you have this one piece of information. And that one piece is savers are punished and investors are rewarded in the legacy financial system. Investing has traditionally been a game for the rich and the brokers who make them richer. You know the type, yelling into their phones, smacking tables, buying and selling stocks like they're at a cattle auction. That seems out of reach for anyone outside of the finance world. Pretty much our entire lives, we're taught save money, save money, save money. What people are specifically saying is do not consume, right? They're saying spend less than you make. And while spend less than you make is a great piece of advice, the downfall of that advice is what you do with the money that you save. And so the advice kind of stops at save. And so what people try to do is they try to save a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand dollars in their bank account. The problem is that inflation ends up being horrendous for these people. There's essentially two causes of wealth inequality, and they're both tied to inflation. Ah, yes, inflation. The thing everyone knows they should worry about regardless of their financial savvy. As prices go up in the U.S., the dollar is worth less. Your buying power goes down. So even if your income isn't going up every year, the cost of living and food and gas and utilities definitely is. What ends up happening is the richer you are, the less likely you are to buy the goods and services that have high sensitivity to inflation. In some weird, messed up way, it is actually expensive to be poor in America. Let's say a family wants to start going to Costco to buy food in bulk, to save some money on necessities. That family would need enough money to buy a membership, to buy the actual food, to buy a car with a big enough trunk to get everything home, 
not to mention money for gas to get to the store each time. That's a lot of upfront costs that some people just don't have. Most of the bottom 50% of Americans do not own any investment assets. They keep 100% of their net worth in cash. They live paycheck to paycheck and everything sits in cash. Those earnings are vulnerable to inflation if they aren't invested. If they are invested, there's a good chance that wealth would grow. This realization could be one of the reasons new investors are hitting the scene in record numbers. Here's Josh Brown again. As recently as five years ago, the consensus was that there will never, ever be a generation that's interested in stocks again. Like it dies with the boomers and Gen Xers and millennials look at the stock market like baseball cards, like some outdated thing that why would anyone bother with that? And that, of course, did not turn out to be true. Thank God. And now we have probably 20 or 30 million new U.S. investors and have experienced their first few months trading and investing. Where do these new investors come from? How do they learn about investing in the first place? And who are they listening to? But based on prevailing sentiment, the market, and popular culture, many think it's a foolish investment. But everyone's wrong. It's like the big short again. Or more like the big short squeeze this time, right? Anyway. This is Roaring Kitty. At least, that's his name on YouTube. On the social news aggregator Reddit, he's known as Deep Fucking Value. His real name is Keith Patrick Gill, and he got a lot of attention for taking part in what is known as the GameStop short squeeze. In short, Redditors noticed that big hedge funds were shorting GameStop stock, eventually betting that it would crash. Amateur investors saw an opportunity and jumped on it. Shares of GameStop doubled again on Wednesday, catapulting the stock price by 800% over the past two weeks. GameStop trading frenzy. Stock in the company rose nearly 3,000% in January. Discount online brokerage Robinhood barred users without warning from buying new shares of GameStop. I saw a pretty popular post talking about GameStop and it like threw me for a loop because I said GameStop. I haven't interacted with this company in any way in probably, you know, 10 years. What do I know about GameStop? Kevin Sanzone is 28 and works for an auto parts retailer, but he also spends a lot of his time on Reddit. It was there he started hearing that he should buy GameStop stock, specifically on a subreddit called Wall Street Bets. Wall Street Bets is always full of advice. Not all of it good, but Kevin was intrigued. Yeah, so I, I saw that initial post and I started to kind of do my own homework, my own research and kind of independently saw like, okay, yeah, it's facts that are being presented. It's not, you know, just bullshit. Once Kevin thought this might be a legit lead, he decided to make a move. I initially started buying in in November. It was about $12 a share. Um, put a pretty modest position in, kind of similar to how I had treated Fannie Mae a few years ago. It was a small position. It wasn't anything I was, you know, totally uncomfortable with losing if that is what eventually happened. Kevin thought that maybe the shares would hit $40 to $60. A 50% return is incredible. He'd be happy with an investment paying off that much that quickly. But it hit $40, then $60, and quickly continued to rise. On the initial run-up, once it, once it broke over $100 was when it really kind of smacked me in the face. I was like, oh my God, like we're talking some serious money now. And then you know, once it continued to run up from there, I definitely got a little caught up in the moment looking at, you know, potential things I'd be able to do if it hit X number. Like I had made a life-changing amount of money, but I hadn't made it until I sold. Kevin's not the gambling type. He doesn't buy into get-rich-quick schemes. And that's mostly thanks to his upbringing. 
Watching my parents growing up, you know, my dad used to have a ritual when he came home from work on Fridays where he'd go in and he'd check his portfolio, he'd make any updates, he'd make some balancing moves, whatever it may be. And I just kind of always remember obviously being around as a kid and seeing that and kind of just taking an interest in, in the, I don't know, getting a bit of financial literacy from my parents. Devin has a history of making smart decisions with his money. But when he jumped into the GameStop squeeze, he joined a lot of people who were expecting big profits. You're not going to make a million dollars in the stock market, right? Josh Brown again. And I talked to all these like new traders, the Robin Hood kids, and I love it. They're cool. I love what they're doing. I'm so glad they're here. But like they honestly think they're going to like trade their way to a million dollars. And it's fucking embarrassing. Kevin wasn't embarrassed at the time, but he was extremely nervous. He watched the stock price rise, palms sweating, heart racing, constantly checking the ticker and checking again. At any second, it could all fall apart. I was just still consumed 24-7 by GameStop. <laughs> um, I mean, it was, uh, it was during that run, it was just, it was, I had so much anxiety. I mean, I was sleeping terribly. I, I was just, I, didn't get a lot done at work. I was just glued to the ticker. I was glued to Twitter trying to get news. I was glued to everything. I mean, I, I was I was watching it from pre-market open at 4 a.m. until, you know, after hours close at 8 every day. And it was just, it was taking a toll. Like, it was not enjoyable. After a couple of weeks, Kevin finally cashed out. The money you had invested initially... You had, I think, 6,500 shares average at 20, I think you said. So, like, roughly around, like, 130, 140K? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 6,900 shares. What did that become the day you sold it? Uh, all done and dusted, my profit was about $1.8 Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of return investing dreams are made of. What do you even do when you become a millionaire overnight? It was, uh, honestly, the first couple days after I had sold, I don't think it really clicked. Um, it, it, I mean, obviously it felt surreal, but I don't think the gravity of it had, had really clicked. And then kind of all of a sudden, one day I was just like, oh my God, the fuck just happened? Like, that's amazing. <laughs> and then I started worrying about taxes. Kevin, ever practical. After his huge risk changed his life, Kevin can do anything. He can take bigger risks and invest bigger amounts. He must be living large, right? I've got a couple pretty small positions in some speculative things that I was interested in. But uh, yeah, about probably 85% of my account right now is in index funds and then a little bit in a bond fund. So right back to, <laughs> right back to boring old investing. This event, the GameStop Short Squeeze, started as one guy preaching on Reddit and grew to shape how a generation sees investing for better or worse. Kevin came out on top, but he knows that's definitely not the case for everyone. I think it definitely brought in a new a new group of investors that are here to stay. Um, but at the same time, there were definitely people that got in, got hurt, got out, and will probably not be back for you know a long time, if at all. But I do think it has it has opened up the markets to a new a new generation of investor, or at least I hope it has. Brand new investors have shown up in droves, and they're not really following the old wisdom of Buffett and conservative investors, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And the reason is that the world has changed sufficiently to the point that the types of things that we used to look at 
as being important to corporations are no longer important. There are still people picking up this textbook from, from the 30s and, and investing on those principles in 2020, and they are not making anyone money, and they haven't been for a long time. It is time! It's time for the Light Rock Jokes! What is that? That's Rap Park Post, one of the shapes of the if you've ever had cable, this man might sound familiar to you. It's CNBC investment teacher Jim Cramer, whose TV show Mad Money has been around since 2005. He's known as much for his on-screen personality as he is for his financial advice. Cramer's high-octane guidance used to be unusual. But now, investors have a lot of people they can listen to. Investment influencers have become a cottage industry. If you invest in Bitcoin, you need to watch this because next week is huge. If you... Start an S corporation and you own 100% of your S corporation. You can buy everything that you own and then you don't pay taxes on anything that you purchase because it's considered a corporate expense. They got the S&P 500 index fund, the total stock market index fund, real estate index funds. Watch the stock market completely change my life in a year. How to turn $10,000 into $1.5 million. Well, in this video, I will explain it to you how it works. The problem with all these opinions, most of them are amateur. And just like everything else on the internet, your mileage may vary. This pandemic has made people vulnerable, scrambling to stabilize themselves financially. While the rich continue to get richer, according to Pomp, it's just another way the system is working how it's supposed to. Since the pandemic began uh, in the United States, billionaires in America have made almost a trillion dollars combined. And then 55 plus million Americans lost their jobs. And people say, that's ridiculous. How could that work? You know, how could that happen? But again, it, the system is actually working exactly how it is structured to work. So what can we do about this? How can you climb within a system that's designed to keep the classes divided? What we need to do is we need to equal the playing field. And the way you do that, in my opinion, is you educate the bottom 50%. And you teach them that, Savers lose and investors win. I got to tell you, I I think it's a bigger problem than like financial literacy. Although, of course, I'm in favor of getting to young people early and teaching them compounding and teaching them taxes and how to write a check and all the shit we don't teach them. According to Josh, demystifying finances means breaking Warren Buffett's first rule. Don't lose. It's a thing that everyone has to go through. Um, you could read a million books. Until you lose some of your own money and understand what it feels like and start um, learning the lessons of why you lost money and applying them in terms of saying, I'm not going to lose money again, you've got to go through that. And for some people, it's very fast process. And for some people, they never learn. When you get down to it, investing is a calculated risk. In some ways, it's a more thoughtful version of gambling. And with any gamble, if you trust your gut, the risk could pay off in the long run. Pay attention right now because right now the decisions you make can actually drastically determine the future financial position that yourself or your family will be in. And that means that there's opportunity and there's risk. So if you make good decisions, that's the opportunity and, and you'll end up being in a great position. Uh, if you make bad decisions, uh, and in many cases just take no action, then you can end up in a worse position than you are now. If you're risk averse, the unknowns that come with investing are probably daunting. One cardinal rule of investing is don't invest more than you're ready to lose. And so we just got to teach people, get out of cash, stop worrying about saving and worry more about investing. 
You have to do that by spending less than you make. You have to do that by having multiple streams of income, right? There's all these kind of really, you know, legacy, great personal finance stories um, or lessons. But the key is that you got to be an investor, not a saver. If you're looking to begin your investment journey, first figure out how much money you're willing to part with. Find companies you know, companies you believe in. Don't expect a huge payout. You're not going to get rich overnight. Use the knowledge you have and know that you're always going to keep learning. Investing is a big and constantly changing landscape. And even if you're not a Jim Cramer or a Warren Buffett or going viral on TikTok, investing is a world where you can still fit in. Thank you to Andrew Wilkinson, Joshua Brown, Anthony Pompliano, Dr. Andrew Kaplan, and Kevin Sanzone for sharing your stories with us. This episode is dedicated to Temitayo Fog Benley, our former producer and friend. This episode was written and produced by Stephanie Horton and edited by senior producer Olivia Briley. Our mix engineer is Valentino Rivera. This episode featured music by Blue Dot Sessions. We appreciate you sharing this with your friends and of course, subscribing to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. Until next time.